very quickly, stand and give the Lord a good uh, praise today. Some, something He's done for you. He's been good to you. Has He been good to you? He is a good God. While you're getting ready to give the Lord a praise, turn with us to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And we're going to read a few verses of Scripture. Anyone got anything you want to share this morning? I'd like to say thank you to all those who have served in the military and served as first responders as well. Reading from the King James Version of God's Word, verse number 23, But we preach Christ, crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Gentiles, or Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For ye are, for you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen, now here it is, the foolish things of this world to confound the wise ones of this world. And God hath chosen the weak things of this world to confound the things which are mighty. The base things of this world and things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and things that are not to bring to not things that are. And that's just the way that God is. You know, He can take nothing and make something out of it. He can take a nobody and make a somebody out of it. But of Him we are in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, He that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Would you say amen to the ministry of God's Word this morning and the reading of God's Word this morning? Well, we are so delighted that you have found your way into the house of the Lord. You could have been doing anything that you, that's on your agenda for this week, but you chose to come to the house of the Lord and to fellowship one with another. Would you bow your hearts as we pray this morning? Lord, you are an amazing God, and there is no one or anything that can compare to you because you are a God. You're all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-present, and we are your people we can take great rest and solace in knowing that you have everything under control. We are excited to be here this Lord's Day to fellowship with one another and more importantly to spend time in your presence as a body of believers. Receive our worship, our prayers, our devotion, Lord, our gifts, for we ask it in your sweet anointing name. Amen. Oh, praise God. I'd like for you just to stand one more time and find somebody and say, I'm glad that the restrictions are being lifted. Come on, go find somebody and shake their hand this morning. Praise God. Randy, Sister Randy, thank you for the worship this morning. Incredible. Praise God. Praise be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. There are many lessons in life that we have learned through experience. My older brother uh, 
he stuck a bobby pin in the electrical outlet and uh, boy did he ever have a shocking revelation but he never did that again I won't tell you some of the foolish things that I did uh, that I had to learn from but they're probably right there with what you've done in the past as well but there's one thing that we all have to come to grips with very quickly and that is you cannot put God in a box you cannot contain God to have him be exactly what you want him to be because you see God is so unpredictable when it comes to being God he may say run through that water Amen. He may say, jump out of the boat. Now, I'm telling you, that's not normal activity. That's not normal activity because God is so unpredictable, but he can back it up because he's God. Man is very predictable. We go home at night. We eat our supper. Uh, we watch a little television or a lot of television. We go to bed. We get up. We start the routine all over again. How many of you know that we all are in a routine? We all are in a routine. Every now and then, it's good to get out of that routine and do something a little bit a little bit different, but we are very, very predictable. We know that the bills come around once a month. In some cases, twice a month, but anyway, it comes around. But God cannot be taken and put into a box because no one can control God, and we need to learn. We don't even need to attempt it because many have attempted it in the past only to find out they come up short. You know, if you've heard your pastor say on many occasions that our arms are too short to box with God, don't even try it. Don't even try, amen. So this morning I want you to focus with me on God can use anything. God can use anything. Our text lays it out. He takes the foolish things of life to confound the wise. That is an amazing statement. God will take those unlearned fishermen, those uneducated fishermen, that in the eyes of their community, they were nobodies, they were fishermen and sometimes they weren't even good at it they fished all night one night and didn't catch a thing and so they look at that and they they look at that and they say but they took knowledge that they had been with Jesus those fishermen had been with Jesus and therefore they had supernatural power through the anointing of God to say to that man at the gate beautiful silver and gold we don't have but what we do have in the name of Jesus Christ arise and walk and healing virtue came into him that confounded the leaders that confounded the doctors of education that confounded all of those the doctors of, of uh, physicians it just confounded them because it's not supposed to happen that way and so God will take those foolish things and confound the wise. He'll take the weak things to confound the things which are mighty. Oh, Sister Catherine Coleman, a wonderful lady years and years ago, amen. God used her, and she was just a, a very humble young teenage girl. She had all the dreams of all the other teenage girls, I'm sure, that she wanted to get a, to, to grow up, maybe go to college, get an education, maybe find a good man, amen, Christian man, get married, let him make all the money, and have a little beagle dog, you know. But she was, she was so set aside for the call of God down in Hannibal, Missouri. And she made this prayer and she said, God, if you could use. She said in her own words, she said, an unattractive, humble girl. I'll let you use me. And God 
moved and breathed into that young lady and began to open doors. And she stood behind the sacred desk in a flowing white dress. And she would preach the Word of God. And literally hundreds of people would come to know Christ as their Savior. But she was in the Azusa revival. She was up in the Azusa place. And she was preaching. And all of a sudden, people began to get healed. And God moved her, not only for salvation, but He began to use her, amen, to see people become healed of physical ailments. She was in great demand, Benny Hinn, Brother Benny Hinn. The reason why that he wears that white suit, uh, a lot of people think that it's maybe, uh, well, they just don't know. He said he wears that white suit in honor of Catherine Kuhlman because she had that glow, flowing white dress. And amen. Oh, come on, church. White is purity, praise God. Blue is heaven, praise God. Amen. Oh, red is a crimson flow of the blood of Christ. But oh, praise God. He can use anything. I'm getting a little ahead of myself here. We're still on anything, not anybody. Oh, praise God. He takes the base things of life. He takes the despised things of life. He takes things which are not as if they are. God takes nobodies over those who think they are somebody. He, God takes them and He begins to wash them on the inside, transform them on the inside, amen, and then uses them for His glory. Sum it up this way. God takes the foolishness of preaching to bring salvation. I'll tell you the most ridiculous thing in the world is for some man to stand up behind a, 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 a podium here and to take his finger and go like this. That's almost like condemnation, you know, amen? No, amen. It's just the way that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching, amen, to bring salvation unto the lost. You know, I guess that's why he called me. It doesn't require college education. It doesn't require having a lot of stuff, a lot of possessions, a lot of wealth. It takes uh, the cross of Jesus Christ, uh, the Christ of the cross, uh, to have confession, uh, conversion, uh, and consecration and commitment. Uh, oh, go with me to Moses in the Old Testament. Moses in the Old Testament, he stuttered. He had all kinds of problems. He had all kinds of problems. And God said, I'm going to use you, Moses. And he didn't want to be used of God. He was on the run. He did not want to be used of God. But strange things begin to happen. God began to use strange things. I want you to think about this. So he says to God, he says, God, he says, what if I go to the Pharaoh to say, release my, your, your people? And they say, well, who are you? And who has sent you? And God told him, he said, just tell them that I am has sent you. The great I am. Not the I was, not the I shall be, but the great I am has sent you. And Moses looked at him and said, well, that's not going to do it. What if they don't hear me? What if they don't believe me? He said, what do you have in your hand? He said, I have a stick. I have a rod. He said, throw it down. And he threw it down on the ground. And as soon as the stick or the rod hit the ground, it turned into a serpent. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was Moses, that would have gotten my attention. Number one, because I don't like snakes. And number two, that would have scared. That probably would have scared me, Avan. You know. God says, "What do you have in your hand? What do you What do you got in your hand? I got a staff. I got I got a I got a rod that I that I have. Throw it down." And he threw it down. It became a snake. And when he picked it up by the tail, it didn't say picked up by the head. He said picked it up by the tail. When he picked it up by the tail, it turned right back into a rod or a stick. Turn to somebody and say, "Well, now that's strange." 
If God can use a stick, He can use me. Come on, tell somebody, if God can use a stick, He can use me. Amen. So He takes that, he takes that staff with Him. And I, I, I researched this this week, and it's amazing what that staff was used for. God told Moses to go before Pharaoh, and Moses responded, that, but God, what if he will not hearken unto us, or the King James said, so he won't listen to us. God says, Moses, take that uh, piece of wood and throw it down, and power began to flow. He used it. He used it to part the Red Sea. He used it to strike the rock for water to come out. But the place that I like it being used the most is this. He goes before Pharaoh. He's talking to Pharaoh about letting the children of Israel go. And Pharaoh became very, very uh, hardened of his heart because God had hardened his heart. Now, the reason why God had hardened his heart was because he was going to turn the degree of test up on Pharaoh. In other words, he wanted not only for Pharaoh's heart to be hardened to say no, but he also wanted all of the region around where the children of Israel were going to be marching through to know, listen, there is a God named Jehovah God that does incredible things, and that's why that the Ten Commandments, you know, you should have no other God. He wanted to prove to the world that it wasn't the great mass of a million people marching across the de desert that did this. It was God Almighty. And so he would harden his heart, and then he would soften his heart, and then he would harden his heart, and then he would soften his heart. He was a confused man. But he was not confused the day that Moses came in and said, let my people go, and, and, and he began to have a hard time, and Moses just decided it was time to throw the rod down. So he threw the rod down, and the snake came in. It was a, a snake-eating snake. Because you see, there's always an imitation. For whatever God has, there's an imitation. For whatever God has, there's always the devil's imitation. Amen. You know, you talk about joy, the joy of the Lord. Let me tell you what. The imitation for the devil is the bottle of joy that tastes good first. Then it makes you go nuts. Makes you spend all your money. Oh, come on, church. Do I have to spell it out to you? Those musicians there, those wise men, those musicians that was in the court of Pharaoh, they said, well, we can do that. So they threw their stick down, and it became snakes. But all of a sudden, God's snake began to eat the enemy snake for lunch. That was the original Pac-Man. Well, that's really neat. That's when we go back and, think, and start thinking about playing Pac-Man, you know. Can you just see that old snake, amen? Oh, that holy snake. They begin to just go around and eat them up, I bet. Just eat them alive. You see, I'm saying that God's so unpredictable. And, uh, you know, he uses strange things. I don't, have all, I don't have a lot of time this morning to go through all the strange things and in the Bible, boy, there's some strange stuff out there, amen. And so he let the people go. He let the people go. And that rod was used on many occasions. Think with me just for a moment about the brazen serpent. It's found in Numbers chapter 21. Now, 
Oh, here the soul of the people becomes so discouraged now that they've been let go out of the land of bondage, out of Egypt, and they're wandering in the, out towards the promised land. And they become so discouraged. And not only did they come discouraged, but it began to wear on one another. Why have you brought us out here, they said. Why have you brought us out here uh, so dissatisfied? Why have you brought us out here to let us die of hunger or die of thirst or being uh, destroyed by an enemy? You know, God, we want to say that God is always long-suffering and, and loving, and He is. And I'll tell you what, he's kind, of like, he's kind of like a mother and a father in the earth. Sometimes He's had enough. Have you, have you ever had that place that you just get to that place where you say, because I said so, and that's it, settles it? No. God had had enough. And all of a sudden, he began to bring all these, uh, it called, it, the Bible calls them fiery serpents. And these fiery serpents begin to bite the people of God, the, the Israelites. They begin to be bitten, and they were in trouble. They were dropping, they were just dropping, you know, just one after another. And God told Moses, said, you better do something, and it's what you better do. You better build a brazen serpent and put it on a pole. He built that brazen serpent and put it on that pole. And he said, if only you will just look at that pole. If only you'll just look at that serpent, you shall live. You shall live. And many looked and they lived. And even today when you're going down the road and you pass, or an ambulance passes you, and you look on the emblems on there, you're going to find that brazen serpent on their patch on the ambulance, amen, because it's a sign of healing. Now I thought, why did he use a serpent? And the reason why that he used a serpent out there was because he is going to destroy the serpent. He is going to destroy the serpent, amen. You see, those fiery snakes that were out there, they were going to be defeated by the one who's going to defeat the serpent called Satan. Because you see, that snake represents death. And Satan represents death. But Christ on that pole, oh, come on, church. Christ on that pole represents life. Well, that's kind of strange unto me. Man's only hope to live was to lift up his eyes and to look. Now notice John chapter 3, verse 14 and 16. And as Moses lifted up his, the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. For whosoever believeth in Christ shall not die, but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You see, both were lifted up. Both brought healing and life. Both involved faith to believe. If only you will just look upon the cross. If only you'll just look to the cross, and the Christ of the cross. You shall not die, even if the snake tries to bite you. We could go on and talk about talking donkeys. What about the young lady that drove a spike through the general's head? Well, that's a good one. Maybe I could maybe I'll preach on that sometime. That's a pretty cool story. A little gory, but cool. No, let's move to God could use anyone. You need to get this in your spirit this morning, and that is this. I can do all things. Say that with me. I can do all things 
through myself. Oh, you're sharp this morning. I can do all things through who? Through Christ, who strengthens me. Oh, we need to claim that today. I don't know what you're going to face this coming week. I don't know what you faced this last week. I don't know what you're going to face in the month of June and July and August. But you must go forth and say, I'm claiming Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In other words, you can be a witness for the Lord. You can do something good for the Lord. You can do something good for your family for the Lord. You you can be a ministering person for the Lord. Psalms 3 says, The Lord is merciful, patient, kind, forgiving, understanding to those who fear, love, and serve Him. God can use anybody. God can use anyone. Let's just walk down through some. Abraham. He got old in his old age. And God used him and Sarah to begin foundation of a new country, a new people. Jacob, oh, brother Jacob, he was a cheat. He was a conniver. He carried out some very devious plans. But God forgave him, and he gave him 12 powerful sons. Joseph, he was a mistreated young man. He was so mistreated by his own brothers. He was so mistreated. How would you like to be down in a, a little cistern and your brothers are up top and, they're hun and you're hungry down there and they're eating supper and they're talking about how, what to do with you. And one says, well, let's just leave him. And he'll rot from the inside out. Another one said, let's kill him. Let's put him out of his misery right now. Can you just imagine what was going through Joseph's mind and his heart to hear his brother, own brothers uh, conniving and going to put him out of his misery and going to take him out and going to kill him. And then one of them says, well, here comes a, here comes a ban one of wanderers. Let's just see if we can sell him. And Joseph's down there thinking, well, that's better than the other alternative. Can you only imagine this young man being mistreated? But you see, God is so unpredictable, uh, and man is so predictable. God had a plan to use Joseph uh, not only to save the entire nation from uh, starvation, but to save his own brothers from starvation. To save his own brother's family from being starved to death. For whenever he was risen up, through a lot of misfortune that came his way when he was risen up to become number two in the nation because he had the plan that God gave him to save the nation. you got three years, it's going to be plenty, and three years, it's going to be bad. Oh, three and a half years are going to be, going to be plenty, three and a half, it's not going to be bad. You need to start saving for the bad times while the good times are here. In other words, get all you can and can all you get. You know the story there. Then we just talk about Moses. You see, he killed a man and went on the run. God can still use a man who kills another man. It's not a good idea to do that. Samson. Oh, brother Samson. I'm telling you what I, my picture of Samson is is that he is dark tanned, got rippling muscles. Come on, help me. Handsome young guy. And most of the time, those kind of guys are dumber than a box of rocks. 
He was dumber than a box of rocks. He was so stupid, so dumb. He was a man after his own flesh. And you know how that uh, his end result was, is that it cost him his life. He was a womanizer, but God still used him even in the end. Cost him his life, but even in the end, after they had plucked his eyes out and put him like a mule, like an oxen going around and, grain, and, and threading the threshing floor instead of an animal, it was him because he was so strong. But God used him. David, oh, where can we go with David? I like, I like Rahab. Prostitute. But was in God's lineage, in Christ Jesus' lineage. It's our ancestry. The song that renewed treasures have sung in the past says, and Sister Randy, you mentioned this in a song today. I'm not sure which one it was, but something about when you think you're a nobody, God still uses you. They sang this song, says, Fear is a Liar. And I looked at that song in detail this week, and I wrote it out, and I put it on my desk, and I, I would look at it, and I would glance at it, and I would, I would reflect upon that as I was moving through that God can use anyone. And the words say that fear, he will, fear will steal your happiness. You know, that is so true. And I know that some have said that fear is false evidence that appears real, but I will tell you there's some fears that are real. And fear will steal a person's happiness. This whole world that we live in today we have to work at being happy. I'm not talking about a surface type of happiness. I'm talking about a deep-seated peace that's on the inside that begins to give us the assurance and gives us the, the backbone, amen, to say, my life, oh, my life is good, but I want to be happy in serving you, Lord. And the happiest you'll ever be is whenever you're in the perfect will of God. He will rob you of your rest. I will tell you that there are some times that I lay down on my bed at night and my body begins to ache and I, I may be overdone it or whatever. And I will tell you that those nights that you have a hard time tossing and turning and a little pain here or a pain in the elbow or, or something and you, and you, you know, and, and it's just tough to go to sleep. Now, I'm not going to ask anybody to show their hands. But oh, for those nights that you lay down, amen, and you go to sleep, and you sleep all the way through the night, and you wake up, amen, to hear the birds singing on the outside of the window, and a little glimmer of light coming through, and you know it's going to be a good day because you can see the sun breaking through, amen. Oh, those are those good days where that God will give you that rest that you need. Fear will take it. Fear will begin to play in your mind. He'll say, well, what about this? You're not going to be able to make that. You're not going to be able to do this. Or what about this? If this happens, or what if that happens? Or maybe you've got something uh, that's going on in your body that you don't even know about. Uh, and you begin to think of all these crazy things, amen. And the next thing you know, you begin to get filled with fear. You need to get that fear out, amen. Cast your fears into the fire, the song says. When he tells you that you are troubled and you are all alone, and that you should run. Never, ever will you ever find a home. He told you you were dirty and you were ashamed. You are the one grace could never change. Just let him know that fear is a liar. Fear 
is a liar. God can use anyone. That includes you. That includes me. The devil will tell you that he, God will never use you because of your past, that you're not worthy, that you're not loved, that you're not beautiful, that you're not, uh, you don't have enough, you don't have any mind, you don't have, your mind's been stolen. What? Well, I got news for the devil. God can change things. We have living proof right here at Northside that God is a God who can change things. God has never used a perfect person. And by that I mean one who is without sin. There's a lot of good people. And God says be perfect as, as Christ is perfect. And that's an aim that we go for. But you see, nobody is without sin. Only Christ Jesus. He who knew no sin. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But God takes the imperfectness of mankind and He begins to use mankind in the giftings that God puts in man. Even though some men have a little bit of a short temper, other men are long-suffering, God can still use both of them. Leah was unattractive, homely, not wanted, but yet at the same time she was used by God mightily. Abraham lied about his wife being his sister. Samson was spoiled and reckless. Gideon was poor, weak, and afraid. Rahab, was her vocation was sin. And Hebrews 11, she's in the hall of fame. May I continue? Jonah ran from God. Elijah had suicidal thoughts. David was an adulterer and a murderer. Peter was impulsive, had anger management issues. That'd be bad, amen, if you're, the, if you're the pastor of the church and the deacon says, I think you need to go and get some anger management classes. Peter was, he, he was, you know, he was on the, he's the rock, amen, and yet he had anger issues. And I will tell you, Sister Karen, Brother Ed, I enjoyed last Wednesday night because it talked about Peter. And, and uh, let me just give you a little, we're doing the series Chosen on Wednesday night at uh, 6.30. And Peter wouldn't believe. He said, I don't even want to hear about this one that has done some of these things because his brethren were telling him, his friends were telling him. Until the night that he fished all night long, caught nothing. And the next morning, Jesus is teaching a, a group, and he says to Peter, May I use your boat? May I launch out just a little bit and use your boat? And he began to proclaim to the people, and then he said, This is all for today, you can go home. And then he turned to Peter, and he said, Cast your net in. And Peter says, Lord, he, a, he says, you know, he says, I fished all night long and we haven't caught anything. In other words, he was saying, ain't going to happen. Ain't no fish out there. I, excuse me, if there's an English teacher here today, that's good old, old Zarkian. Rabbi, there is no fish in this And he threw the net over the boat. And the music begins to crescendo. And he's trying to pull in the fish. 
and he has to have help, and the other boat is quite a ways away, and you ought to see these three young disciples to be. They jump out of the boat uh, as they were getting their nets all cleaned up, and they're running across the edge of the beach in the water, and their little feet are just going like this, and they begin to haul in these 353 marvelous large fish. But Peter was impulsive. He had anger management issues. He was quick on the draw with his sword. God said, you know what? I can use that guy. In fact, I'm going to use him to the place that I'm going to build church upon the rock and use Peter in a great way if God can use Peter he can use you if God can use Samson he can use you if God can use Jonah amen he can use you and there's the woman at the well and then there's Thomas the doubter God can use anything and anyone church that's good stuff I think that needs to be repeated God can use anything or anyone to include you and me. We must never forget that every saint has a past. But here's the good part. Every sinner has a future. Every saint has a past. But every sinner has a future. Church never give up. Never give up on anyone. Because God will never give up on anyone. God will never give up. And so if God will not give up on them, let's, let us not give up on them. God in His great mercy and His love extended it to us. One of the things that I'm so grateful for this morning, church, over, over many years of serving the Lord is, is that God does not require you or I to prove our worth. Many people, they strive and they work for other people to like them and to have self-esteem. Or, you know, some people, they're a little, some people you have to really treat a little different than others. Some of them you have to really stroke their ego a little bit. You know anybody like that? You know, they, they want you to let them know how good they are whether it's because they are a little self-intimidated or, or whatever it is, but there's nothing wrong with telling somebody they've done a good job. But with God, He does not require us to prove to Him how worthy we are because we are all unworthy. That's huge for us to this church. But you don't have to set out to do works and you don't have to set out to prove God to prove to God that you're worthy of, of whatever He's going to give and, and do. Number two, we must always remember that it's not about us, it's not about me, it's not about you, but it's all because of Jesus. If this is forgotten, one will become very bitter in life. If one thinks that everything revolves around them and everything is me, myself, and I, and my four and no more, or, or just me, 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 they will soon, very soon, become very bitter. They'll become bitter in their spirit. They'll become bitter at their own self. They'll become bitter at the ones that they should love the most. They'll become to have a bitter attitude and a bitter spirit. And it will well up because, you see, man can never measure up. Man can never measure up to man's requirements to be in this life. Just can't happen. 
you'll always fall just a little short. And that bitterness will begin to well up and it will show itself in tangible ways. Amen. The, the best way you'll know is if the dog ever gets kicked. If you see the old boy outside kicking the tires. Walking outside and spitting. Oh, come on, church. Rough on the toes. Better than rough on the shins. So we must remember that in life, if it's all about us, life will bring us bitter problems because we will have to face them. And pride can arise because of the blessings of someone else. But oh, to flip it around and to allow God to be used in our lives. where we recognize that it's all about Him. When we pray, we say, Lord, it's all about You. Lord, thank You for this wonderful, wonderful meal. We went over to Chris and Delaney's. They're in Colorado, and, or they're in Iowa, headed to Colorado. And, and uh, they had already set out the food, and little Zeeland was sitting at the end of the table. And, and I came in, and, and, I, and, and I said, uh, Zeeland, you, you want to pray over this food? And he said... Amen. <laughs> Take a little time to say, Lord, thank you for this hot dog. You better pray over hot dogs if you're going to eat hot dogs. You better pray over them. I buy those jalapeno hot dog styles, amen, so I know that it'll kill whatever it is that needs to be killed. We didn't say, Lord, thank you for your blessings. I, when I got up this morning, I said, Lord, thank you that the sun's kind of coming through because I'll tell you what, it's been cold. Thank him for the ability to make money. I love the story of the very wealthy businessman told his pastor, he said, I, it, it was easy for me to pay tithes on every $1,000 to the tune of $100 or 10% a week. But now that my income and my business has skyrocketed to six figures every month, uh, it's very difficult for me to pay the tithe on $100,000 a week to the sum of $10,000. Uh, and the pastor listened to him and took it all in. He said, well, would you like for me to pray to God that he would take you back to that $100 a week uh, tithe? The minute we start thinking it's all about us, it's my ability, my, you know, and then the, the scriptures say, if you're going to glory, glory in the Lord. When we start thinking about it's us, we've built this, we've done this. We're on a slippery slope to falling flat on our face. Number three on this is that we must allow God to use our pain to help others. You know, sometimes pain can come in so many different ways. There can be physical pain. There can be emotional pain. There can be financial pain. There can be spiritual pain. There's all kinds of pains that are out there. It's pains in the neck. But we must allow God to use whatever pain comes our way to be a blessing to someone else. To bless someone else that needs uh, to be blessed, amen. And I don't know how that I can say we do that. I, that's just between you and God, amen. But oh, allow that our pain 
be used of God to bring him honor and glory. And then we must pray, God, use me beyond my own ability, my own self, so that I will know and others will know that this was beyond me, that it had to come from you. It's a miracle from you, God. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you, church, as a board and as a pastor, we can testify that we have seen God miraculously move in the COVID time of this last year, for the entire year up to uh, even today, God has blessed Northside. He has continued to pour out his blessings on us. He has blessed us spiritually. He's blessed us financially. The only thing that we need is to fill the church up and see somebody get saved every single Sunday. Amen. We've got work to do. It's going to happen. Gideon is an example that he went from several thousand men down to 300 men. And God used those 300 men to bring the victory. And when the other nations around said, what happened? They were defeated by 300 men with a pitcher, a lantern, and a cry out to God. A hundred here, a hundred here, and a hundred here. And the voices was amplified. And the enemy started killing each other. They began to run. And all you could say around the campfire was, My, my, how my God delivered us. How he delivered us. Which is easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or take up your bed and walk so that you will know the Son of Man has power to forgive of sins. I say unto you, take up your bed and walk. And healing virtue came in to that young man. I'm going to close this morning with the parallel of the thousands upon thousands of men and women who gave their life during the conflicts to make America free. And that of the last moments of our Lord and Savior. Jesus Christ. Because if it were not for the Lord, we would not. We would not be here today serving Him and loving Him. Bruised and bleeding, the Savior's final hours were spent crucified on a cross. Although racked with excruciating pain, he made seven significant statements as the last words of his mortal ministry. As we look more closely at these final statements, Christ shows us how he is a healing, human, and divine Savior to each of us. Though in desperate need of comfort himself, Jesus Christ's first three statements show his compassion and desire to heal others. The first statement was spoken as the soldiers crucified him. The Savior said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Amazingly, the Savior generously pleaded for mercy for those who were in the very act of crucifying him. He is showing by example what he taught during the Sermon on the Mount, that we should love our enemies and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Christ is teaching us how we should be willing to extend forgiveness and mercy, even when it is not merited, asked for, or acknowledged. 
The Savior's second statement also displays tender compassion for others, even while he himself suffers. As Christ hung between two thieves, one of them taunted him by saying, If thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. But the other man rebuked him by saying that they both were getting what they deserved. At this point, this penitent thief then pleads with the Savior, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. These words spoken by a convicted criminal are the final recorded words addressed to the Savior before his death. His plea captures a special intimacy as he is the only person recorded in the Gospels as asking Christ to remember him. Others might easily see this thief as worthless or beyond redemption, yet in his response to the man hanging beside him, Jesus shows us what he truly thinks of the human race. The Savior makes the second statement by saying, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Can you imagine the reunion when Jesus and this man see each other after they have died? Christ would personally minister to him and teach him that very day. According to Luke, Jesus began his public ministry at a synagogue in Nazareth, stating that he would proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. How appropriate that he ends his mortal ministry by proclaiming freedom to one who is physically bound on a cross and spiritually bound by sin. Like this thief who hung beside Christ, we too can be freed from our own bondage and sins because of a healing and merciful Savior. When Jesus saw his mother Mary and the disciple whom Christ loved, watching him as he suffered on the cross, he said the third statement, first to Mary, Woman, behold thy son. Then directing his words to the beloved disciple, often assumed to be John, Behold thy mother. Even in his greatest agony, the Savior focuses on the needs of his mother. He is showing by example how to obey the commandment he gave, to honor thy father and thy mother. In John, the first miracle Christ performed was at the request of his mother by turning water into wine. Here again, Christ lovingly attends to her needs, even in his moment of greatest need. He inspires us to look outward, even when we are suffering. The Savior demonstrated his healing power by forgiving the soldiers, comforting the thief, and honoring his mother. Just as Jesus met them where they were, he will also meet us where we are, even those who make serious mistakes. No one is beyond the reach of the Savior's healing love. In the next two statements, we are reminded that though his Father was our immortal God, Jesus was born of a mortal woman. In agony on the cross, he shows us his humanity through his suffering. As Christ experiences the effects of shock due to the loss of blood, with parched and shriveled lips, he cries out his fourth statement, I thirst. During his mortal ministry, Christ said to the Samaritan woman at the well, But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, 
But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. What a powerful testament that he truly bears all of our pains as our Savior. Christ thirsted so that we can drink the cool, refreshing water that he himself so desperately needed. As the living water, he strengthens us in our own challenges. As the time of his death approached, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Making his fifth statement. In his moment of greatest distress, Christ is left to bear the full brunt of the sins of the world without the accompanying help of his Father. During his ministry, he told those who loved him, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Even in his final painful hours, he has sought to forgive, comfort, and honor those around him. And now he is the one in need of comfort. For even his father has left him to suffer these pains alone. In this statement, we more fully see a human savior who is suffering in our pain we can connect with Christ, for he knows how to heal our pain perfectly. As the end of the Savior's life nears, we become acquainted with his divinity in his final two statements. Despite intense suffering, as the Son of God, he retains power over all things and completes his atoning sacrifice. In great agony, Christ makes his sixth statement, It is finished. Earlier in his ministry, Jesus taught that his purpose was to obey the will of the one who sent me and to finish the work he gave me to do. In spite of earth and hell combining against him, thirsty, forsaken, and in agonizing pain, Christ has indeed completed the work his Father had sent him to accomplish. We can be confident that even when our lives spin out of control, Christ is completely in control. He is always at the helm. Finally, moments before Jesus ended his mortal ministry on earth, he cried, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Perhaps the key word in this seventh and final statement is I, indicating the Savior's personal agency. He willingly gave up his life. Note also the Savior intimately addresses God as Father. In the Gospel of Luke, Christ's first recorded words at a young age of just 12 years are when he asks Mary and Joseph, Did you not know that I must be about my Father's business? And now Mary's witness provides the heart-wrenching answer. He had finished the work his Father sent him to do. Christ gave himself completely to God. Do we do the same? Are we willing to allow our will to be completely swallowed up in the will of the Father? Reflecting on these seven statements Jesus said from the cross, we can see Christ as a healing Savior who extends mercy and comfort even in his own agony. We see Christ as a human Savior who can relate to our anguish and our suffering. He is a divine Savior able to help us in every circumstance because he is all-powerful. 
In these seven simple yet poignant statements made in Christ's final moments, when he suffered the most, we see that Jesus Christ is the Messiah who has come to save us all. In just a moment, Sister Randy will begin playing softly. But I want to draw this together in conclusion this morning with this. That whenever uh, America went into World War II and we literally bombed Germany to almost nothing left, when the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor and we responded with the horrendous nuclear arsenal, it, it just brought them to their knees. And there was great famine, there was great want in those countries. And then America, in, in their great love and compassion, they began the reconstruction of Germany and Japan. They began to rebuild those shattered cities and those shattered lives. It's a very interesting read on the history of how that America was very careful in establishing automobile manufacturing and other manufacturing. But they did it all to try to rebuild. And this, this morning as we have looked at the last seven words of Jesus I want you to know this and I know you already have got it and that is this that we celebrate on Memorial Day and we never forget the men and women who died for the cause of freedom in America we're grateful for that we're grateful for the first responders who gave their life to save others but church there's one and only one who gave his life for everyone. He loves the Germans just like he loves the Americans. He loves the Japanese just like he loves the Americans. He loves the Africans. He loves the Asians. And praise God, he loves the Vietnamese. For you see, he came for all people, not just a select few. And so as we honor those who gave their life for the freedoms of America, I think it would be in order for us to stand and give the Lord a praise for what He does for everybody. What a good Lord He is. What a good Savior He is. Just worship the Lord as Sister Randy takes us out with a, a few courses of, of worship. And if you, if you want to make that commitment to the Lord today, you make it right where you're at. It's as simple as asking the Lord to come into your heart and then make sure you tell somebody that you've asked the Lord to come into your heart and life. You at home today, you can ask the Lord to come into your heart and life right where you're at, right this moment. I exalt you, Lord.
like you, Lord. Come on, church, lift your voice. Oh, give me praise this morning. Lord, we love you, we love you, we love you, Lord. thank you for the many blessings that you have bestowed upon us. We thank you for America, Lord, but more importantly, Lord, we thank you that you're a God of all. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, whosoever will but believe shall be saved. Now go with this great congregation today and Lord, tomorrow, whatever our activities shall be, as we maybe go to the, the cemeteries or we spend time with family and we barbecue or whatever we do, Lord, may we always remember not only the fallen that gave their life for America, but Lord, may we never forget what you did for us and what you continue to do for us. Would you give the Lord a good round of love and appreciation this morning?